So good morning again. It's my joy and honor to bring the Word of God to you. Pastor Tim's going to follow up and finish, move forward in Galatians. I didn't want to jump ahead of him, but I did want to kind of come back around him. A couple of things came in my mind as I was studying Galatians with y'all as Tim's preached through it. And I thought, well, I think I want to look at that a little more myself. And so some words started jumping out of the pages at me. So I said, okay, if I ever get to preach, I want to talk about this. So let me read the passage to you, and you can join me. I've only listed one in the bulletin. Well, they didn't find there either. Okay. I put one down that I want us to look at, but it has to have a background. I'm just going to back up to chapter 4, verse 4. And I'm going to read down to the first part of that. And then I'm going to pick up one a little further down in verse 15. Let this word pierce and comfort your heart at the same time. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons and daughters of God, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Wow. We drop down to verse 15. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? We'll stop there. So this is titled, What's Happened to Your Joy? What's happened to your joy? That's a tough question. How many Christians do you know don't walk around with much joy in their life? How about you? How much do you not walk around with joy in your life? The Apostle Paul is uh, really nailing the Galatians. Lovingly so, but it hurts sometimes to have the truth spoken to you. But it's the way you're healed. You're not healed by pacifying you, pitying you, but by pronouncing the declaration of the gospel to you. See, he makes a distinction right off the bat for us of either you're a saint or a sinner. Either you're a slave or you're a son. Which is it? What's your identity? What are you living out of? The reality is you and I live out of who we think we are. And one of the dangers we live in the world today is the world constructs a social construct that says this is your identity based on some feeling or experience. The Apostle Paul wants to knock that right out of the park and says there's only one way to know your identity. And that's to ground it in who God says you are. God said I designed you. I created you. I brought you into being. You're my construct. I am not your construct. 
I have a manual to tell you how to live. I've even got the energy source in you now to live out my will. And Romans 1 would say, though, all that's true, but we don't believe it. We want to be our own God. We want to be in control. We want to recognize our self-autonomy. And being fools, Scripture says, and ungrateful, they don't glorify God. Yikes. What's your identity? Who are you? For me, a paradigm shift took place in my Christian walk when I grasped a hold of the fact, yes, Paul, you sin and you sin greatly, as Martin Luther used to say. I sin boldly. But that's not my identity. Matter of fact, I would argue with you this morning, the Scripture never calls a believer in Jesus Christ a sinner. I will say he describes you as a person who sins, but not, that's not your identity anymore. Romans 6 says you died to sin, and you're alive in Christ. Hmm. Dead to sin. Reckon myself dead to sin, he says in chapter 6 and 6. Hmm. Consider yourself alive. How do you think about yourself? Defining myself as a sinner really doesn't edify me. It really doesn't empower me because the gospel... And all the New Testament letter never says that. It says you're a saint. Now, whoa, let's don't get too haughty, Paul. St. Paul up here talking to you today. Oh, by the way, there's St. Carol. Oh, there's St. Julie, and there's St. Becky, and there's St. Ron, and there's St. Paul. You're all saints. Ephesians makes it clear. You and I have been set apart from the foundation of the world. Be called into Christ Jesus, chosen. To be his, predestined. That he set his love on you. It was going to happen. Sure, you resisted. We all resisted that call. But eventually the effectual call of Christ worked into our heart and brought forth faith as the Spirit worked in us. And we accepted, believed, submitted, and embraced the new identity in Christ. Now, true, you and I are infants in the Lord. I'm moving into the 67 years of age. I'm just an itty-bitty baby in the Lord. I think we take too much pride in what we think we can accomplish as a Christian when reality is, you're just a baby. And you do baby things. And you make baby mistakes. But it's not because you don't want to serve the Lord. It's not because you don't want to do it. It's because that battle of indwelling sin still exists. It says you're dead. It doesn't say sin's annihilated. It's not eliminated, but you are dead to sin. Now, Christ is your life. He even gives a whole different word for that word life. It's Zoe. I've talked about that here before. It's life, power, energy of God in Christ in you now. You have that. But if I can convince you you don't have it, I've got you. If I can continue to deceive you and lie to you, you'll just walk out, boom, it's this Christian thing not working for me. Well, it's boring, not very exciting, doesn't tingle my senses. It can and it will. But you may not be experiencing it right now because part of the problem is you don't identify with the gospel. You're identifying with the old man who's dead. You're identifying your past. 
Paul never says, go back and identify with it. He does say, go back and look at it. Remember, very truthfully, you are a son of disobedience. You are a son of rebellion. You are a child of darkness. He does remind us that's where we came from, but it took the blood of Christ to get us over on this side. You are a son of God, a daughter of the king. You have life everlasting. I mean, you got eternal life. Forever. In the presence of the living God. Nothing to sneeze at. Dr. Tony Evans has a great illustration about a man who went to the nutritionist. He said, uh, I need your help. He said, well, what's your problem? He says, when I go to the grocery store, I just start wanting dog food. Matter of fact, I look at those pictures of the dogs on the dog food. I was like, man, those look like happy dogs. I, just, I, 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 think I'm a, I think I'd like to have some. And said, so, matter of fact, I start ripping the bag open and eating dog food right in the grocery store. And, and then I, I roll over and I, I, I kind of say, would you come scratch my belly? Would you come scratch my belly? As the people walk by me. Doctor says, well, how long have you had this? Ever since I was a puppy. <laughs> he doesn't need behavior modification, people. He needs a transformation. A new identity to live out of. That is the argument going on today, present tense right now, around the world. But especially in the States. Where I define who I am by an experience or feeling. Instead of by the word of God. Where do you look? That's a good question. Where do I look? What do, I, what do I look for to give me life? I have couples come to me to get married. One of the first things I tell them, I said, well, are you looking for your wife to really fulfill you, to be your, be your all-in-all love? Yes, yes, yes. How about you, sir? Mm-hmm. If I get married to her, all that love I haven't received in the past, I'll get it. You know, mom really was kind of tough on me, and she'll just love me. I know, me too. I'm there laughing. They look at me, what are you laughing for? I said, because you're like two vacuum cleaners trying to suck life out of each other. You're just sitting there. <laughs> and eventually that bag's going to go. <laughs> Paul Tripp has a book, What Did You Expect? What did you expect? May I explode your expectations? There's no one in the world who can fill you and fulfill your expectations and your hopes and your dreams. They will dash them, they'll step on them, and they'll twist them and turn them. They don't really mean to. They just can't meet, reach your idol level. You've got an idol. And my heart creates idols, your heart creates idols. And those idols, the problem with our idols, and this is what you're seeing with Paul in this, this whole text is, he's trying to say you've got the wrong identity and you're trying to find some other way to get significance in life and you keep stepping back into the past and you want to live as a slave? You want to, you want to sit under a master who only re, result of being his slave is death? You want to be under a master who lies and steals and murders you and deceives you? You want to go back to that? 
Instead of having a master who loves you and is kind, he doesn't even call you slaves anymore. He says, I don't even call you servants anymore. I call you my friend. I call you my son. You, you don't want to leave this and go back there? And then he starts hitting them with, that. he hits them with, what has happened to your joy? Like, duh. But it, go back to the third chapter and you read, I can read those. With, there's, there's six questions in a row. Rhetorical questions that Paul doesn't even take a breath. He doesn't allow them to take a breath. Listen, when my mom used to get on to me and catch me doing something wrong, and he said, Paul, why did you do this? What in the world was you thinking? Who taught you that? Where did you learn that? What is wrong with you, son? Are you got any sense at all today? I knew I was in trouble. I knew I was in trouble, especially if she called Robert Paul. <laughs> she got me. That's what Paul's doing over earlier in Galatians. He's saying... Brother, did, how did this all take place in your life? How did you have the gifts of the Spirit be a miracle? Did you get it by doing something? Or did you did it? He just lays one, two, three, four, five, six questions in a row. You foolish Galatians is what he calls them. You foolish Galatians. But the part that caught my eye as we were studying was how many times... He uses the word who. Who has bewitched you? Who has hindered you from obeying the truth? Who has knocked you off the path? Who, who, who? Hmm. He didn't say what knocked you off the path. He didn't say what. He referred to who. So I came up with my own slogan of the who's. The who's, who's. I understand this has real personal reference to some people. Mud. We listen to mud. We eat mud. We think mud. How's that tasting? Not too good, does it? Matter of fact, over in, uh, I think it's Jeremiah, I believe it's chapter 2, Jeremiah says, I have, God says, I have two things against my people. One is they've left me the fountain of living water. Now, out in the desert, that just doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? There's not a lot of water out in these plate wilderness and, and when we're talking Scripture. Second thing is, my people have gone and dug wells, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. In essence, the broken cisterns cannot hold life. They have, what are, what are some of the broken cisterns we live out of? Well, they tell us in studies, and Tim Keller's got a great book on counterfeit gods and idols. And they talk about the four big idols of our heart, control, power, approval. What's that last one? I have to look at it. Control, that seems to be a big one in a lot of our lives. You can be serving the idol of control and it can deal with anything in your life. You can be lusting after something. It doesn't have to be sexual, it's anything. And it becomes the idol of your heart. What does your heart seek after? 
Be careful. Because the thing the heart seeks after is the thing it begins to worship. And the thing it begins to worship begins to enslave. And the next day you know what's happened to all your joy. The word is blessedness in there, but I, just not a word I think I throw around today. When I say blessedness, the only people that really get that is a good, strong Christian. I think it's a state of being, a state, a state of being blessed, or a state of blessing. So I use the word joy there. What's, what's happened to my joy? Because Jesus said, I'm praying for your joy. In John 17, 13, he says, I'm praying that they might have the joy in them. I want their joy to be full in me. So I want the joy of the Lord to fill my heart. But these idols keep rising up. And the tendency is to look at the surface idols, or if you will, the surface sins. And Tim's been talking about that some more in the surface area. They're indicators of the heart. We want to modify those behaviors and think we've got this monster back under control. We don't. Because there's always a root sin. There's always something deeper beneath the surface than the shark fin. I mean, I've been in oceans, sharks ride by, I see their fin. That's not the problem. It's what's underneath that fin. What's underneath the water is what's dangerous. It'll chew you up. So when I see a fin, I usually run. I learn how to walk on water. <laughs> so you've got to think about it. So what's your surface sin? What's your surface idol? It's revealing something much deeper. And for Paul, as he's writing the Galatians, years ago I got wrote and I in a small PCA church in High Point, North Carolina, got to hear a guy named Bernard Briscoe, Stuart Briscoe's brother. Most everybody knows Stuart because of the books in there. Most people didn't know Bernard. But he gave a great synopsis of Galatians for us, and it sticks with us today. You're either going to choose one of three ways to live your life. You're going to either do Law works, grace, faith, grace, grace, faith, or license, lust. We hadn't really got to the license, lust much. We're just getting there in chapter 5 with Tim. He'll pick that up. License, lust. And what most of these guys are doing here in Galatians is they're living out of law works. Instead of grace, faith, living. Matter of fact, Paul's going to have this argument back in Romans 2 where the Christians say, well, hey, we're not under sin anymore. Let's go party. Let's do what we want to. It's okay. We're free. He said, no, no, no. You don't understand grace. And even Paul says, don't use your freedom in Christ to indulge your flesh. What should you be doing with our freedom in Christ, he says? Serving one another. Wow, what a different view of freedom. You're free from sin so that you might serve the king of kings. You're not free to go do your thing or to redefine who you are or to define yourself by a behavior. Rosaria Butterfield, you may have read some of her books, came out of the lesbian lifestyle after the Lord confronted her. She has a great little book out, but one of the things she wrote she said, when the Lord entered my world, I experienced the gospel-ignited, expulsive power of a new affection. 
came out of Thomas Chalmers' great work. That new affection was not heterosexuality, but Jesus, my Jesus, my friend, my Savior. I was not converted out of homosexuality. I was converted out of unbelief. After my life in Jesus unfolded through conversion and the means of grace that God gives his people, the word of God, prayer, church membership, taking of the sacraments, I realized that my sin was not exclusively a sexual desire for women. My sexual desire for women hinged upon another sin. It danced on the glittering tip of the knife of pride. I was dealing with a pride that rejected patriarchy as a flat-out danger, and combining this with a homosocial affinity to women that nearly neatly morphed into a sexual practice. It was very easy to claim myself a lesbian. She spends time in her book talking about the difference between a homosociality and homosexuality. I mean, I like to hang out with guys. We had 35 guys bowling the other night. It was a great time to be with brothers to share stories, to laugh at how good we bowled. And uh, some of you guys bowled good, don't keep laughing. And uh, to, to remember, yeah, I mean, that, that's some dents in that floor over there in that bowling alley. Uh, but that's homosociality. And if you start having feelings for that, there's nothing wrong with that. Man, you women love building relationships. Good. But the world has come in, and this is the mud. First one is me, myself, and I. I have to fight the old flesh, the old me. There's a battle ongoing every day. You and I have to get up in the morning, and we have to recommit to Christ that moment we get up. The battle is on for the old man to say, I want to get on the throne. I control things. I'm the most important person in your life. Don't worry about it, you guys. Get out there and get after it. You're in competition, guys. And if you act like a Christian, you're going to get stomped on. And the flesh just rises up. You've got to shut him down quick. Go bow before the master's feet and say, Not my will, but yours be done, Lord. I know there's a tendency in me right now to get out there and take over a situation or run over somebody to prove myself. Now, you wouldn't say it that way to yourself. You'd say, I'm helping out. I know a little bit better than they do. I'm, I'm a little bit wiser. And now you hear pride slide in there. No, you're not that much wiser. But you are a Christian. That is your identity. And the wisdom of God flows through you because of Christ, not because of you. How about the rest of the mud there? You want some more mud in your eyes? I put uh, you there for unbelief. It has to do with the first part, the me, in my little e, my little I, I'm not the big I. Paul says the big I, you want to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and body. You want to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what you really want, because that's me. That's me in you, as the song you were singing earlier. I am the temple. Christ is me. He wants to live through and in me to express the love of God to the world. I like to say it this way. When you and I step out of this room today... You don't just represent Christ, you represent Christ in your words, in your actions, in your behaviors. 
and you're suffering. I could talk to a few of you already. I know you have suffering. You have physical suffering. You have mental suffering, emotional suffering. We all suffer. Being a Christian does not keep you from suffering. Matter of fact, I would argue very clearly with you. The scripture says, I've designed suffering for you that you might know me better. And the power of the gospel in you. That it's not you that can do it, but I can, says Christ. I am your strength. So Paul says, I'm going to boast in my weakness then. Hmm. So the world is the unbelief. You're going to step back into the world of unbelief that doesn't believe anything you're saying. They do not accept the premise of where you're coming from. How can they? They're sons of disobedience. They're sons of darkness. They can't see, Scripture says. They're blinded. And when they see something coming at them, Fear arises in their heart. They don't know why. It's fear because they're under the control of the last one. D, the devil or demons. When you're under that control of fear and something starts to attack that fear or appear to threaten that fear, the next thing is fury. Fight it with all your being because you do not want to accept that because you don't want to accept you must submit to the living God and accept his word. So don't think they'll come down easy. There's a battle in all of us when the word of God speaks to us. As we read it from the word, when the spirit pricks us with the word. For us as Christians, I don't call it unbelief, I call it disbelief. I choose not to believe this. The non-Christian really doesn't have the, the same ability to read the truth and they're just going to read it with unbelief until the spirit begins to work on you've already got the spirit in you so when you look at the word you having to battle that idol that says no i want control no i, I want comfort and this scripture says you give up all things for me and walk with me and i'll i'll give you a hundredfold family what well, i don't i don't want to give that up i don't know what that means i'm afraid i I don't want to get in the wild river of God's grace. It's too scary. You don't want to really live in a rut, though, and that's that tension you start feeling with the spirit, the restlessness. I don't want to walk in a rut all my life because a rut's just an open-end grave. It's death. I want, to, I want to live the vicarious Lord. I want you to live in me through the power of the spirit. I want to experience this journey of faith. I want to know what it's like to have joy every day because that's what you're praying for me. So when you're not having joy, you've got to start asking those questions. How much mud am I drinking from a broken cistern instead of clean living water? How much mud are you sucking up? What am I looking for life to give me? And that might be a person. It might be a position. It might be a, a power. It might be possessions. That you're looking to give you life. As good old Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you? Not working good at all. Down in Jacksonville, Florida, they got a dog racing track, and this one pastor was writing about it, and he said, got my dog jokes going on today. He said, uh, they gotta, when they start, start the race, they go, here's Rusty. And when they say that, the dogs go bonkers. 
They start yapping and jumping up and down and biting and snapping at each other because they're going to get rusty, man. Rusty's that mechanical rabbit. And they, they've been, they're, they're conditioned to get that rabbit. They're going to kill that rabbit. They're going to catch that rabbit. As soon as that gate opens, they take off and they're flying. If they didn't have those muscles, they'd be biting each other, killing each other, trying to get rusty. Very rarely does it happen. But on occasion, one of those dogs catches rusty. He jumps down and snaps on it and, and he bites on it. And he realizes, what in the world is this? He'll never race again. He's smarter than us. Because we'll keep racing back to those idols of our heart, even though, okay, this time it'll work. This relationship will make it happen. This job will make it happen. This achievement will make me get there. I know I can do it. (laughs) Get it? I didn't quite do it. The next one will. The next one will. Jesus says, no, it won't. I'm your only source of life. So one of my favorite passages is Isaiah 30. If you've got a Bible, will you turn there with me? I'm going to conclude with this. I think you've got the point. It's talking about repentance. I call this the waltz of grace. Or if you will, the waltz of repentance, faith, and rest. Wrote it, I love ballroom dancing. Love the waltz. So this, anytime we're dancing like this, this comes to my mind. Verse 15 on. He says, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning, same as repentance, and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. There's your answer. That's how you get the joy back. But watch the next verse. But you were unwilling. And you said, no, we'll flee upon horses, therefore you shall flee away. No, we'll ride upon our swift steeds, therefore your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one, at the threat of five you shall flee, till you're all left like flagstaffs on top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. That's a lonely sounding picture to me. But don't stop. Don't stop. Keep going with me. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Just put that one in your pocket. Hold it close to your chest. In repentance. In faith. Is your salvation resting in Christ, what he's done for you, not what you're doing. The tendency of the heart when you're first approached with this is, I'm going to run away, and I'm going to run away as fast as I can. He said, that's all right. Run run as hard as you want to. Chase another rabbit. Find another idol. Misidentify yourself. You're going to be miserable. I hope you like it. I'm going to let you go there, too. Because I love you. And you need to know something. You need to know how much I love you. You need to know how big my grace is. You need to understand the blood of Christ covers everything. So guess what? He's not so concerned about that behavioral sin. Oh, he wants it cleaned up. He doesn't want it to keep showing the enemy an opportunity to bless him in the name of Christ. 
Yes, that's concerning, but he's wanting that heart that says, what's, the, what's in your heart, child? My heart cries out, give me new affections, Lord. I see affection for this over here. I have an affection for love and control and comfort. That's where my affection lies. And approval, oh my word, give me some approval, won't you? Can't live without approval. And there's a reality that we need some of those things, but not to the point they become an idol in our heart. I love this three-step dance with the Lord of the Walls. To repent, to trust and believe, and rest. Rest in His promise in Christ Jesus. Rest in His love for you. Rest in who He's called you to be. This this is such a sweet, tender passage of God's grace. I'm waiting on you. I'm pursuing you, but I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting to see what the work of my spirit does in your heart and mind. And it's going to be glorious. It's going to glorify me. Yes. The Lord wants our love. He wants worshipers. And our love for Christ is what flows out of us to other people. Why do you do what you do? It's because of who you are. And recognizing who you are tells you who he is. It directs you back to him. So when the world looks at you, you represent him over and over and over. But watch out for that mud. It's coming. The world's going to sling it at you. The devil's going to sling it at you. The old man's going to sling it at you. But see, you've got living water flowing in you. And I'll end with this illustration. You and I both know if I have this bowl over here, I'll just use it as my illustration. If I have this bowl and I come up here to do something and I trip, what comes out of my bowl? This is a baptism bowl, by the way. What comes out? Why? Huh? I can't hear you. It came out because I failed? Hmm. Any other reason? Huh? Gravity. It's a scientific mind here. All right. Thank you, sir. How about there's water in the bowl? That's why water came out. Take a minute. So how often do you blame somebody for knocking water out of your bowl? You made me mad. You upset me. It's your fault. Life treating me bad. Jesus said it's not what comes in the man that defiles him, but what's already inside. Oh, and your wife does not come through for you guys. This is my favorite one. I get in trouble all the time. I'll say something to my beloved, and I'll say it. But she, she doesn't take it very well because she picks up a tone. It's just the tone, guys. And we think we're pretty sneaky and crafty. Then we say, no, honey, I don't really mean that. And she's like, uh-huh, you do. No, no, baby. Uh-huh. The tone. They pick up tones. It's terrible. You can fool another man with your tone, but you can't fool women with your tone. And I get caught time and time and time again. Instead of just owning up to it, yeah, right. I messed up. I forgot it. I was insensitive. You see, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go below the surface. I just say, sorry I hurt you, baby. It's okay. And I don't want to go to the lower level where the real pain is, the real hurt. So she hears that tone. 
She knows I haven't gone there when I haven't said, please forgive me for my insensitivity. Please forgive me for my impatience. Okay, I yelled at you. I'm sorry. Boy, that tone drink gives a dead giveaway with that one, didn't it? I'm not sorry. I'm just sorry I got caught. And you, got, you saw through my defense system. The Lord says, don't worry. I know all that about you. You can come to me. And I wait and long to be gracious to you. So we got to repent of it. we got to confess it. we got to admit it. And if it's something you need to renounce, something you've been involved in, Lord, I renounce it as wrong, but I still sense an affection for it. But you're going to have to take my affection and make the affection for you stronger and stronger and stronger because I'm not that strong. Turn my heart to you. Let me sense your love. Pour out the gospel to me. That's why you have to spend time in the Word. This is the only place you get the gospel. You understand this? This is the only place you're going to hear of the love of God in Christ Jesus for you, who's given you a new life, a new identity, a new purpose, a new family, a new destiny. The list goes on and on and on. And when you see something come out of you that doesn't connect to being like Christ, and that's the fruit of the Spirit Tim's going to be speaking of next week, that is a signal. Ding, 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 ding. You are not at this moment Walking in me. Walking in the Spirit is taking the truths of the gospel and living out of them. Keeping step with the Spirit is the same thing. You're now living in faith every day, coming with Him. It's not some mysterious thing out there, walking in the Spirit, keeping step with the Spirit. The Spirit is saying, these are the truths. These are the promises of God. Step on them. Bank on them. You've banked on me giving you eternal life. Why don't you bank on me giving you life? So that your joy may be full. That's what I'm praying for you. So the Spirit's doing the same. Let's conclude the matter with a prayer. Lord, we present ourselves fresh and anew to you again. What a joy you are waiting to receive us. Thank you you've given me a new identity. Thank you you've given the people of God the calling to be on an adventure and journey of representing you to the world. That our love for you and love for others is an overflow of your love and grace in our lives. What a joy it is. Fill us, Lord. Use us. To you be the glory. Amen.